Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? All right. Who's ready for the heat wave to be done? You guys, it's not even that hot. All right. It's not, it's not that bad. Except for Sunday last week. That was pretty crazy. Um, just Well, I'm so glad to have you guys all joining us here today. I know there's a handful of people that are battling different illnesses and things that are watching us online. I know, Michelle, you're online watching. So if you want to, just turn around, wave to the camera. People that are watching us online, thank you for joining us. So glad to have you guys here. And um, as, as always, I say it every week, but I really am. I'm excited to be here. No, I love this place, and I, I, I love this church and all the people that, that make up this church. And I, I love that we're going through more of the book of James. And James, I don't know if you guys have been reading ahead or I mean, if you've read ahead, chapter three is very, very clear on a very certain subject that we're going to talk about today. But, um, but I, like I said, I, I like how James just gets to the point, it says a lot of things. And he actually, you know, kind of does a little side swipe in this one where he does a lot of metaphors. But they're all crazy powerful for the subject that he is addressing. And um, before we dive fully into James chapter three, um, I did want to spend a minute talking about some of the pretty amazing things that, that we've done this, this summer. Um, how many of you guys were a part of VBS that we had here at the church? I mean, VBS was incredible. We had, I think the final count was around 160 or so kids here on campus, over 200 people total, you know, making this, you know, between kids and volunteers, making this thing happen. And then on top of that, we got to, you know, break down cultural and, and down, you know, uh, denominational walls and combined with another church last week to do a big outdoor service and barbecue and we, we got to meet some new families and it was, it was just so much fun to, to see the kingdom of God being bigger than this building. You know, so many people that don't call this church home came to visit and that's just an incredible thing that we get to celebrate that God is doing. Um, and then before that, we got to spend a week in Mexico and we, we saw people and, and kids and adults come to Jesus in Mexico. There's just so much going on. And I love that when we look at all these things happening that we're doing as a church, a lot of what James is talking about, we've been living as a church, which is really, really cool. You know, James talks about looking after orphans and widows and, uh, and quite literally in Mexico, we got to go do that with people. And um, there were even some kids that, that you were know, foster kids or orphan kids and, and single parents and widows that came and experienced VBS with us here. So we got to really put into practice what we're reading about with James. And so I, I love that I get to be a part of a church that does and practices these things. And it's, it's great to see the kingdom of God at work on such a larger scale than what we even comprehend sometimes. Now, last week, we, or two weeks ago, we talked about faith and works and putting those together and how those two go hand in hand and, and how we, we, we aren't saved because of our works, but because we are saved, we do works. And, and we talked all about that, that relationship and that tension that those two live in. And this week, James brings up another sensitive topic that I think a lot of people struggle with and I think all of us can relate to in some way, shape, or form because we all have this part in our human body. And James talks about one thing in particular throughout chapter 3. But before we dive into it, I want to share with you some of, something we do at home every now and then. So these, are, these are things my kids try to get me to say, and I try to get them to say. But does anybody here like tongue twisters? Anybody here really good at tongue twisters? Who's really bad at tongue twisters? You try and you just you go all over the words? Yeah. So there, here are some fun ones that my kids try to get me to say. So the first one is rubber baby buggy bumpers. Right, and, and you, you think that, one, that one's kind of easy. And actually, um, Theoden, come up here real quick. I, I know I pick on you because you pick on me, so get up here. All right, um, this next one's going to come up, and um, I don't have a mic, but just say it loud. I want to see if you can say the next one on your first go-through. I know, just go for it. Do it, do it, do it. Sally. No, Sally. faster, faster. Sally sells 
seashells by the seashore. There you go. Nice. All right. No, you're not good now. There's, there's another one I want you to go for. All right, but you got to say it fast. Unique New York, New York, unique, you know, you need to, unique New York. Unique New York, New York's unique, you know, you need unique New York. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, do you know this next one? Do you know the whole thing of this next one? Peter Piker. See, I messed up on the first, second word. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. Poppin'. <laughs> but you guys know Peter Piper, right? Yep, so that, that's a fun one. Okay, now this is the last one. All right, say this five times fast. Toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat. I can't even do that one. That's, that's the one that we, we struggle with at home a lot. All right, give him a hand, guys. Give him a hand. Yeah, boo. Some people, I mean, we, we can have a lot of fun with tongue twisters. Some people are really, really good. The New York one is one that the kids try to say that I, I got really good at that one. For whatever reason, of all those, that's the one that I nailed. And, and the kids can't say it. Toy boat is one that we try all the times. I did it once in the car with Aurora. Like I did it, I think I did it 10 times and just flew through it. And we were done. We were just like, whoa! Mom wasn't there to see it, doesn't believe it to this day. You know, it's just got to live with that. But there's, there, there is one more, and do you guys know what this is a picture of? Who can actually name this guy? It's kind of a tongue twister. What is that? Close. It's a wacky, waving, inflatable, arm flailing tube man. Yeah, can you guys say that? Wacky, waving, inflatable, arm flailing tube man. So um, if you guys ever played the game Telephone at home, I'll whisper that to Avery's ear. She'll just go, not that one again, because she can't say it. And, so I, and then as soon as she does that, everyone knows what I told her. But needless to say, tongue twisters can be fun. We can have a lot, of, a lot of fun trying to say things and messing things up and laughing because the tongue is actually an amazing part of the human body. It does so much good, and it also does so much not good. With this amazing muscle in our body, everyone here has this muscle. Everyone here has this, and we're all aware of the great things the tongue can bring us. First and foremost... The ability to taste food. I mean, man, I love food. I love good food, right? And, and I, we spent, when we were in Mexico, we got to experience a lot of really, really good food. But the tongue brings so much joy to, to your palate when you eat. It allows us to make funny faces. Um, at home, Avery is like the queen of ridiculous faces. A lot of them involve her doing something with her tongue. So we can make uh, silly faces, we can make funny sounds, and it allows us to form words and is a major part of our ability to speak. Those are all good things, but the tongue does some horrible things. For example, it allows us to make sounds and form words and have the ability to speak, right? All those good things, all the good words, the tongue has the ability to do the exact same opposite, Right? We can have horrible things come out of our mouths. The very, thing we use our, the very thing we use to bless each other, to bless God, to sing praise, is the very thing that we use to curse each other, to curse God, to condemn, to hurt, and to tear down. And today we're going to look at James chapter 3, specifically verses 1 through 12. And we're going to dive into what James says about the tongue. So if you have your Bibles, James chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we're going to read through all 12 verses together, and then we'll break it up and see what James talks about, because he says so much about the tongue in this passage. So he starts off with this. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. 
We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault is, in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. That tongue is also a fire, a, word, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So James does lots of metaphors here, but a lot of to-the-point statements to give us very clear direction about what we can and shouldn't do with our tongues and how we should be using them. And I think if we unpack what he's talking about, we can see just how amazing this muscle really is that, that God gifted us with when we use it wisely and how God can do incredible things with our tongue for his people and for his purpose. Now, how many of you have ever been tripped up by your tongue before? Just see those hands. Who said something you know you shouldn't have said? To, whether it was to yourself, to somebody else, you, you let a word come out and you followed it up by saying that was French, ignore it, whatever. You know, just it, we, we, we've said things. We, we, I think we all have had a moment where we've been tripped up by our tongue. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we learned this truth, that we're not saved by our works, but saved people do God's work. Today, we're going to move from proving our faith by our works to proving our faith by our words. And what are we saying and what are we doing about it? Now, if we break up these 12 verses into three sections, we're going to see, I think, three different key points that the tongue is used for. And today we'll capitalize on, on these three. One is we're going to see in verses 1 through 5 how the tongue has the power to point. And then after that, we're going to see how the tongue has the power to poison. And then we're going to see how the tongue has the power to praise. But in this one passage, he goes through this entire whirlwind of all the good and bad the tongue can do. And he uses very vivid word pictures. He talks about a bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder on a ship, an out-of-control fire, a dangerous animal, a bubbling spring, and delicious fruit. Now, even if you don't have any experience with a lot of these things, we'll all, we're all going to see how familiar they are to us in our everyday life and how they affect and why he's using them in effect with our tongue. But he first starts talking about this, how the tongue has the power to point. Now, verses 1 and 2, he says this, Not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. Now, I, I like how James says we in all this. James is not saying, he's not talking at the church, saying, you're doing this, your tongue, your words. He's saying our words the things we say, because I think James knows that he is just as susceptible to, to having language issues and words issues and tongue issues as anybody else, right? He, he's there with the group. His words are important. He can struggle with them just like he knows that his audience's words are important, and his audience can struggle with what they say as well. 
The word stumble is the idea of it's falling or tripping, right? And I think we've all stumbled in real life, but often we stumble with our tongues. And literally it means this. We are all stumbling repeatedly in many ways. This is what James is saying. We are all stumbling repeatedly in many ways. None of us are exempt from this. But he's reminding us that in our efforts to be better, in our efforts to do better, that Jesus is a big part of what it has to do learning how to control your tongue. He says that once a word is out there, and we know this, right? Once a word is out there, or you type it on social media, you, you, you tweet it, you, you Facebook it, you, you put a picture on Instagram and you say something, once that's out there, how do you get it back? You don't, right? You, you can, uh, I, it's always funny when a celebrity will, will tweet something and it's on the news, such and such tweeted this and they deleted it. But you know how many times it was reposted and retweeted and screenshotted and shared before they deleted it? I mean, thousands of times. And those words don't go anywhere. They are now there forever. Or when you say something sometimes, how easy is it to catch that word and just put it right back in your mouth? Be like, nope, nobody got that one. You can't do it, right? Once that word is out there, jokingly or not, or intentional or just a slip up, once it's out there and it's went into somebody else, you can't really take that back. There's, there's things you can say and there, there's apologies you can make, and, but, but those, those words, and we'll go into that in a little bit, but those, those things can harm each other so hard. And Jesus is a big part of what we have to do with learning how to manage and control our tongues. And it's, James is talking about, on one hand, if we're professing love for Jesus, and on the other hand, we're condemning people and saying hurtful things, that's going to really stand out more. What, what do you think people are going to remember? James is trying to get them to understand this. Are people going to remember the love you're proclaiming or the hurt that you're causing people? What's going to stand out more when they think about you? I think he's telling people, when you speak hurt, when you speak death and pain into somebody, people are going to remember that a lot more than they say, oh, but you said this nice thing as well. The hurtful thing has a huge impact. People notice it. Christ notices it. And ultimately, people have to talk to Jesus about it. Another way to understand is ask ourselves this question. How would you feel if everything you said this past week or even month, everything you said was put on play, like it was recorded in play for everyone to hear? Yeah, people are chuckling like, huh, my words? Ooh, I don't know, right? If everyone could hear everything you said over the, the course of the past week or month, what would people hear? Would they hear life? Would they hear that you have a relationship with Jesus? Would they see or hear the fruit of the Spirit that Galatians talks about? Would they hear and see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Would, would they hear these things? Or would they hear the total opposite? Or would that be a part of what they hear, but other things they hear overshadow it because there were some hurtful things that really, really came out? Jesus is saying that if our tongue, uh, James is saying if we don't, if our tongues don't trip us up, then we're perfect or complete. Any perfect and complete people in here? All right, so we're all on the same page then, right? If we're able to muzzle our mouths, we're able to bridle our whole body. James is circling back to this theme. Remember I said when we first opened up James that a lot of what he talks about in chapter one gets pulled all the way through, and he does this. Chapter one talks about the tongue. Chapter one says those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their whole religion is worthless. I think some of the hardest sins to control all originate with the tongue. Some of the hardest sins today that we have a hard time controlling, they originate with the tongue. Proverbs 21, 23 puts it this way. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. And, and James uses that. 
He uses that in his passage here, and he uses some figures of speech to help us understand the importance of what it is to be wise with our words. The first visual he gives us is a bit. Now, a bit is a piece of metal that fits in a horse's mouth. Is anybody here familiar with, with horses? Right, have any of you guys used a bit? Put that in a horse's mouth. You know what the bit is? Right, now, now a bit, you put bit into a horse's mouth. It's a relatively small piece of metal that controls a powerful animal that can, on average, weigh upwards of 1,000 pounds or more. But a small piece of metal has so much to do with the control of this animal. Now, I know that, um, I know, Hannah, you do a lot of stuff with horses. And, and my little sister, Angelina, in um, Vallejo in California, she used to spend a lot of time on a ranch where she was learning how to ride horses and take care of horses. And so I got to talk to her about a bit as I was doing this, uh, putting this passage together, this, this message together. And she talked about how the bit helps you control and point the horse in the right direction. And so when, when you pull it on the right, the, the metal rod will pull on the right side of the horse so it will turn its head and steer the horse in the right direction. And likewise, if you pull on the left, the metal bit pulls on the left side, the horse's head turns, and as its head turns, it tends to turn as well. So this small piece uh, makes the horse respond in, a, in the tension of its pull. So it's essential into making the horse easier to control. Without the bit, the horse can misbehave. It's not always going to do what the rider wants, and that can lead to a lot of trouble, especially if you're going really, really fast and that horse isn't listening. You're in for a world of hurt. So the bit is important. In the same way that a bit, a small little piece of metal, can control this massive, large animal, James also talks about a small rudder. He says, a rudder controls a ship, and it points it in the right direction. Now, in verse 4, he says, take ships, for example, although they're large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So, so the pilot has this boat. And if you know anything about boats, the rudder is not nearly the biggest part of the boat. In comparison to the whole thing, it is not nearly the biggest part. It's a small part of the boat, but when the rudder turns, what happens to the boat? That whole boat turns. The rudder controls the direction. If turned the wrong way, or if it's turned too sharp, if the boat's going too fast, it can lead to a huge disaster. But one of the smallest parts of the boat can lead to its biggest destruction. Though tiny, they have a tremendous power of direction. And in this way, James is saying the same thing about the human tongue. In comparison to the human body, the tongue is such a small muscle in your body. It is tiny in comparison to everything else, but it has such a major part to play in the way that it points your life, in the way that you're going to turn, the way that you're going to walk, the way that you're going to go, what direction are you going. It can lead you down an amazing path, or it can lead you down a path that leads to huge disaster. Did you know that, that the tongue, in comparison to your body, the average tongue weighs two ounces? That's not much. The average tongue weighs two ounces, but it receives more exercise than any muscle in your body. More so if you're my six-year-old daughter, right? Just going and going and going, right? But the tongue is so small, but it leads so much exercise, gets so much use. Pastor Chuck Swindoll called the tongue a two-ounce slab of trouble, a two-ounce slab of trouble. And someone else referred to the tongue as a two-ounce beast, if we don't learn how to control our tongues, then James is telling us that what's going to happen is your tongue is going to end up controlling you. And you're going to go down a path of so much destruction, it's going to be so hard to get out of. If, we aren't, if we're careful with it, if we use it properly, though, it can point us in an incredible direction. It can lead us to speak life and, and, and just greatness into so many things in people, but it can also hurt. So the tongue will point you in a great direction or bad direction, even though it's so small. Second, James talks about that the tongue has the power to poison. Now, sometimes something so small in life can lead to a huge disaster or cause like 
of poison, right? Now, often when it comes to poison, poison is something you can't even really see until it's already been ingested, if you want to talk about literal poison. For example, when we were on the Mexico trip, one of the rules that we had, and this was like one of, don't break this rule ever, 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 ever. Don't drink the water. Don't drink the water. There is poison in that water. There's a bacteria in that water that if you drink the water in Mexico, the form in which the water enters your body will be the form in which everything leaves your body. It does havoc on you, but you don't see it. If, if you were just to go to a faucet and drink the tap, put it on the tap water, it looks just like water. Now, when we were in Mexico, we had bottles of water that we used. The base we stayed at had a purified water station, but they still said, you know, hey, drink this, not this. You know, there were things on the tap. Don't drink the tap water. Drink the purified water. If you drink the, the tap water, the bathroom's going to be your best friend for a while. You will be there. But it's crazy to think about this because you can't see it. It's something so small. It's out of sight, out of mind. And sometimes people on their very first trip to Mexico, we catch them filling up a cup, and as they're coming, you know, you do the whole slow-mo, no! Because as one of the team leaders, you've then got to deal with that with that person the rest of the week. But when you stay with the purified water, everything is okay. But something so small, what you don't see, can cause havoc to your system. Pain, discomfort, great pain, great discomfort. And we, we all know this phrase when it comes to, to hurtful things, right? Finish it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, does anyone believe that? Right? We, we, we tell each other that when we're kids. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That is a bunch of baloney right there, right? Words hurt. Words can hurt really, really bad. I would take a stick or a stone any day over a really, really hurtful sentence or phrase because the, the stick or the stone, yeah, it'll, it'll cut you. You'll believe, you may even get a really cool scar out of it. But, but even when that heals, you, you get the scar and you remember it, but when someone throws something out there with their words that sticks and it hurts, that causes something worse than a physical scar. That leaves an emotional scar. How many of us today are still dealing with emotional scars from years ago, right? We, we deal with emotions. Emotions don't just go away. Some people say, hey, get a control on your emotions. And that's such a hard phrase because emotions is a natural response. God has emotions. Emotional scars are deep. They hurt. One small word, one small sentence, one small phrase can do a huge amount of damage on any one person. A careless word or even a well-planned one can leave a mark that just doesn't go away easily. I remember the very, very first time that someone sent me a message on social media privately, but the first time someone looked at me and said, listen to your message, this is what I got, you are a poor pastor. I remember that. I also remember this person never liked me ever a day in their life. So, so it, was, it was kind of the, well, this person's never liked me. So I you know, kind of try to understand where it's coming from. But still, the, the phrase, it, it rings true. It, not ring true, but you know, it, it rings that someone said that to me. You are a poor pastor. Another person said this. Hey, I believe that you're a leader, but you lead in the wrong direction. Thank you. <laughs> you know, it's like, all right, I, I don't know how to take that. Now, again, looking at the source, you know, I think when, when people say things, you always have to kind of look at the source. Where is this coming from? Is this something I did? Have, should I really be spending time on this? And even if it's not, though, you can't deny that when someone says something, even if it's someone that, you know, you don't have a relationship with or someone you kind of know their story, even when they say something, words have that power to leave a mark, a very, very strong mark that doesn't always go away. Proverbs 16.27 puts it this way. A worthless man digs up evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. 
And sometimes words can do that. They can just, they can make your insides feel like you're burning. They can catch you on fire. Now, now we learned, my family, especially living in California for 36 years, what it's like to live in a land of fire. It always seems like California's on fire. It wasn't that long ago, actually, that the whole state was on fire. There's actually a website you can go to. It says, iscaliforniaonfire.com. If you go to that website, it's just a white screen, but in the top right corner, it says, yes. That's it. That's the website. And there's a timestamp on there to show that it's time of what you just said. But California was always on fire. And it seems, you know, just a few years ago, the whole state quite literally was on fire. And people lost everything. A lot of people lost everything. Fires can be devastating. I don't think it's a coincidence that fire is used as an analogy to what the tongue can do. James uses fire in chapter 3 to talk about just how devastating the tongue can be. James 3, 6, he said, The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. That's harsh, right? That, that's a very harsh truth that James throws out there. But think about, I think he wants us to understand just how powerful this is. Think about it. One small conversation one small word can cause a relationship to go up in flames. How many people have had friends for years? You've been friends for decades maybe, and then one conversation severed this relationship. Someone said or did something, and it took it the wrong way, and friendship was over. All it takes is one small word, because that one small word can have such a huge impact, just like that small bacteria, that small poison, that small drink of water that you thought was pure. That small spark in the fire of the forest, or in the forest, ignited a huge fire. One small thing. One small word, devastating results. And I know, I know I'm, I'm not perfect. I, I do have an incredible gift God gave me that, that, I, that I love to use. God gave me an incredible gift of sarcasm. Yeah, right? I, I read a book called The Five Love Languages with my wife, and it was, it was a great book, and I, I, I wish they had sarcasm in there because that totally is our love language at home. But um, I, 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 I'm very sarcastic. I like to, to be sarcastic and joke with people. If you spent a lot of time with me at VBS or Mexico, you got to see the sarcasm come out. But having said that, sarcasm, as much fun as I like to have with it, it can also be a curse, because sometimes you say the sarcastic comment to somebody, and I, I've done it before. I've said something, and I saw their face, and it was just like, oh, no. Crossed the line. Shouldn't have said that. And as much as I can apologize, as much as I can say, hey, I, that was too far. I'm sorry. It's out there. I already said it. And, and most of the time we get to talk about it, I'll apologize, and we're okay. But, but I can only wonder, gosh, I hope that comment doesn't stick with them because I really didn't mean it in that way. But... It can be a blessing and a curse, right? Sometimes we have to realize with our words, we just fired out poison. Even if we didn't mean to, we have to realize we maybe just threw something out there that can devastate somebody, and we, it's so hard to take that back. Verse 8 says, No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And that's a strong statement, right? No human can tame the tongue. Now notice it doesn't say our tongues can't be tamed. It says no human can do it. What this is saying is that we can't do it ourselves. We have to enlist the help of Jesus when it comes to our mouths. We have to get help from somewhere that's not just humans. Humans can't do it. And it says it's a restless evil. Restless refers to staggering. It's unstable, unsteady, unsettled, right? The tongue is restless, incapable of human restraint. Has anybody here ever heard of restless leg syndrome? Or, or you sit there and your, your leg is bouncing and you, know, you can't stop it. I do it all the time. Stephanie will tell me, Dustin, you're bouncing the whole table. Stop it. 
at the dinner table. And I remember when I was a kid, we went to a water park. And so I was, I was probably in middle school at this point, but it's a few of my brothers and my dad, and, and we're sitting down eating at just one of the benches at this water park. And my, my dad's foot, you know, he has, he has his leg crossed and his foot's just, just bouncing nonstop. This little girl, couldn't have been more than four or five years old, just walks up to my dad, puts, a, puts her hand on his foot and says, stop. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. Just stop. We're like, oh, hi, okay. Restless leg syndrome, where you just, you can't stop moving your legs, right? Well, I feel like the Bible says we all have restless tongue syndrome. We have restless tongue syndrome because our mouths are filled with a poison that we need to learn how to handle because our words, we need to be, use our words cautiously as we would a vial of lethal poison. If you had that vial in your hand and you knew, hey, if I put this on somebody, it's going to hurt them, would you willingly just go throw it on somebody? Don't, don't answer that out loud. Maybe you're thinking of someone right now that you would. But, but in general, you know, if, you, if you're holding something dangerous, you want to treat it carefully. You don't want someone to get hurt by it. James is saying, our tongues. We have this with us everywhere we go. We've got to be careful. Treat it like you would a vial of poison. Know that you have the power now to bring life or pain to somebody in a very, very powerful way. And I know I, I usually bring in scripture from Paul when I talk about James because a lot of times they go hand in hand. And Paul builds this case when he says that we've all sinned. And he speaks about the sins of the tongue when he does it. Romans 3, 13 and 14, Paul says this. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. I mean, both, both Paul and James are speaking of how incredibly powerful and poisonous and destructive the tongue can be. And they both talk about how without the power of Jesus, we really can't on our, owns, can, on our own contain it. But the beauty, the beauty of the tongue is amazing. Because with Jesus, we have the power to contain. We have the power to use it in the right way. And when we use our tongue the way that God intended, when he created us to be able to speak, to sing, we see that the tongue has the power to praise. The tongue has an incredible power to praise. Verses 9 and 10 lay out the hypothetical nature of our tongues. It says, For with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters... This should not be. So praise is to express warm approval and admiration of, to be able to express respect and gratitude towards. So we do this in our relationship with God, right? We get to do this to God. We, we opened up this morning with singing, singing praise to God. We praise him because he alone is the one that's worthy of our praise. We praise him because he alone is the one that is deserving of our praise. But at the same time, the same time we praise God, we can immediately turn around and blast somebody. Even today, maybe, we, we may have gone to church on a Sunday and then gone home and just leviscerated somebody with our words. Minutes after, we just spent a whole hour or so praising God. James draws together this word picture to help us understand why this shouldn't be a common practice, why this shouldn't be something in the life of a Christ follower. He talks about a spring. He says in verse 11, does a spring pour out forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? There's an image of a fresh flowing stream of water. Is that stream going to be fresh and salt? It can't, right? It's, it's going to be one or the other. You're either drinking salt water or drinking fresh water. One spring will not produce both at the same time. It's not possible. And if you go down to take a drink, you find out real fast if it's even drinkable. If you ever try to take a gulp of the ocean, you know right away that is not water you want to be drinking. But sometimes you can be out and you see a fresh spring, and it can be just delicious fresh water. 
James is saying it's impossible for a spring to do both. So should it be impossible for us as Christ followers to say, I'm praising God and I'm cursing my brother. Saying we shouldn't be doing both. We should be using our tongues in a way that is praising and building up, not one that is condemning and cursing. He then uses a final example of fruit. In verse 12, he says, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? We expect to have a fig tree to have what on it when you go to it? When it's in full season, what is it going to have on it? It's going to have figs, right? That, that's, that's common sense. The fig tree will have figs. And when it's grape season, what is that grapevine going to have? Grapes. That, that's, that's a no-brainer. That's not even a trick question. Now, it would be weird if you went to a grapevine and said, why are there no figs on this vine? People would know you're crazy. Or if you went to a fig tree and said, where are the grapes? Does not make sense. There are no grapes because that's not a grapevine. That is a fig tree. If something will produce what it was intended to reproduce. A fig tree was intended to reproduce figs. It will do nothing except reproduce figs. A grapevine was intended to reproduce grapes. It will do nothing but reproduce grapes. If you leave them too long on there, too long raisins, and that's just nasty. Nobody needs those. But you know what it's supposed to get. What God is saying here, what James is saying, God is telling us that we need to be consistent because what comes out of our mouths is a reflection of what we were supposed to be. It's a reflection of what's in our hearts. A tree will reproduce the fruit it was supposed to reproduce. It won't make something it's not. If God is in our heart, it's supposed to reproduce the attributes of God. Reproduce the attributes of Jesus, the traits that we learn in Scripture. That's what's supposed to pour out of our hearts. What comes out of our mouths is a reflection of what is in our hearts. Matthew 12, 34 says, Out for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We weren't meant to reproduce evil. We weren't meant to reproduce poison. We weren't meant, we weren't created to go destroy people and tear people down. We were created to love our neighbor. We were created to praise and love God. And if we're doing the opposite of that in our everyday life, James is saying here, and, and Jesus is saying here in Matthew, this is, this is, what's, coming out, this is it what's coming out of your mouth is because of what we're putting into our hearts. What he's saying is this is not a head issue. This is not a brain issue. It really boils down to what God wants most from us, and that is our whole heart. When we allow God to come into our hearts and, and mold and shape our lives, we, we talked about uh, last, a few weeks ago about how that manifests itself into our faith and our works. And we see here that it manifests itself also into what comes out of our mouths with our tongue. The way we speak can be bigger than the way we think because the heart really is the epicenter of our body, the epicenter of our action, the epicenter of our emotions, and specifically our words. Now, years ago when I was a youth pastor, I actually challenged the youth to something. I said, hey, I want you guys to do this. And there was a lot of groaning, and they were like, oh, are you serious? But a lot of them did it, and it was really, really cool to see the ones that did. I challenged the youth. I said, all right, students, I want you to do this for only 30 days Listen to Christian music. <clears throat> and some of them were like, oh, Christian music is lame. I said, well, then find different Christian music. I'm not, I'm not saying you, you have to listen to a certain style, but just find Christian music. Find it, listen to it, and do that for just 30 days. Let that be the only input musically that's coming into your lives, and think about what happens. Now, I know there's some radio stations that do this every now and then, they say the 30-day challenge. So I was like, I'm going to give this to my youth. I'm going to see what they do. And so I did it with them. And we were sitting there. You could pick any genre of Christian music you wanted. You can do worship music. You can do Christian rock and roll, contemporary Christian. Uh, just find out whatever one it is, but just let that be 30 days. Let that be what, what fills your heart. Just let it, let it go through and see what happens. 
Now, for the ones that did it for 30 straight days, what was really, really cool is they told me they started to feel a change in their life. They said, I, I'm noticing that, that I'm not getting angry or frustrated quite as easily. I, I'm not as snippy as I normally am because I'm just flooding myself with, with praise and worship about God consistently all the time. And it was really, really cool when they said that they filtered out some of the garbage that, that they had been listening to. I'm not saying all secular music is garbage, but there's some, Right? But they said if they were, they were filtering out some of the other stuff they were listening to and replacing it with words of praise and words of worship to God, they noticed a change in their lives. And I thought, hey, this is really, really cool. What if all of us did that more often? I'm not saying eliminate every secular thing from your life, but I'm saying what if what we did, a majority of what we input into ourselves, really, really praised God as opposed to a majority praising the world or destroying other people? What would that change? How would that change our actions? And how would that change the way we talk to each other? I saw a big change in the youth, and it was really, really cool. So if, if we want to get control of what we call that tongue, that tongue of ours, right, that, that two-ounce slab of trouble, what are we going to do for that tongue? And I think there are things we can all practice. There, there are practical things we can all do that, that may seem tricky, they may seem hard, but they are all practical. And the first one is this. Practice James 1.19. Practice James 1.19. James 1.19, a refresher for it, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, one year in Mexico, I had a student who um, did not lack confidence in anything that he did. Never lacked confidence at all. He was, he was always anxious to challenge people in things that he never even played before. And um, we, we, would always, we would always tell him, hey, dude, James 1.19, because he would just start talking a big game about this. You know, hey, you want to play this? I'll destroy you in it. You ever played before? I have no, how do you even play? But I'll destroy you. Let's go. Like, all right, James 119, dude. Just slow down. Slow your, spout, slow your mouth down a little bit. Let's talk about this. And I remember he challenged me to a game of chess once. He asked me, he said, hey, Dustin, you're, you know how to play chess? I said, yeah, it's been years since I played, but I know how to play. He said, um, I just learned. Let's play. I'll kick your butt. I said, okay. So, so we played. And in the course of the game, he took away one pawn from me. And so, yeah, that's a devastating loss, right? And as soon as we were done, he looked at me, he goes, I'll beat you tomorrow. <laughs> Did not lack confidence, but we would always tell the student, we'd say, dude, James 119. <laughs> be quick to listen, slow to speak. But sometimes, even for us, as funny of a story that can be, for us, that's something that I think we can all practice, right? We, we need to be quicker to listen, slower to speak, slower to let our tongue get us into trouble. Think about what we're going to say and what we're going to do. And if you're someone who does have a quick mouth like I do, Maybe you can manage to say things quickly that really, really hurt people. Put this into practice. James 1.19, listen before you say something. And even use this acronym. There's an acronym for the word think. The first one is T. Is it true? Is what you're going to say true? But don't stop there because sometimes you're going to say something really, really truthful in a really, really hurtful way. So don't let, don't let that be the only thing you're going to say. Because we all know, maybe we've even said that, but we've had people say that before, right? You say, I said this to somebody. Why would you say that? Because it's true. <laughs> Well, it was also really, really mean, right? <coughs> Excuse me. But think, is it true? Start there. And then after you go that, past that point, is it true? Then ask, is it helpful? Is this helpful? Are you saying it to actually help somebody? Or are you saying it just because you're going to hurt somebody? Is it true? Is it helpful? Then ask, is it inspiring? Are you going to say this thing to somebody and it's going to motivate them to do something? Is it going to inspire them to, to be better, to do better, to, to live life better? What, what are you going to say that's really going to build somebody up? Then go on to this. Is it necessary? Is this necessary? Or are you just saying it to make yourself feel good? 
Are you just saying it because you think they need to hear it? Is it necessary? And then lastly, K, is it kind? Is it kind? Sometimes you can, you can say something that's truthful, and it may be, it may be something, a, a truth bomb that someone needs to hear, but you can say it in a way that is inspiring, in a way that is kind. You've got to be careful with your tongue. Once you go through this, practice, this process, it's a great way to practice James 1.19. But it also practice entire section in Scripture about going and using your tongue in a godly way, and not in a way that's going to hurt somebody. Second would be this, memorize scripture. Spend time in the word and really memorize scripture. This directly relates to what we put into our hearts, right? Memorizing scripture, taking that conscious effort to put something in your heart where it's gonna stay, then that's gonna start flowing from your heart. Spend some time memorizing scripture. We all know the phrase garbage in, garbage out, right? Garbage in, garbage out. If all we do is constantly put garbage into our, to our minds, to our hearts, that's what's ultimately going to be flowing out consistently is garbage in, garbage out. When we take time to say, I'm going to put some of his word in my heart. I'm going to, I'm going to be intentional about it. I'm going to make time and make a process for putting his word somewhere where it's going to be stored. Then we get to this point where we can say, this is what is now coming out of my life because that's what I'm consistently putting in. Psalm 119, 111 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Every now and then when, when I'm talking with, with someone and they, they have a slip of their language or inappropriate comes out of their mouth, or maybe they, they shout something in anger that is wrong to say, um, I, I've been known to, to look at people sometimes and go, really? I've said that. Like I'm next to someone who we're just doing this and they're like, blah, 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 blankety blank. I go, wow, really? I've said that before. But I, I've done it in a lighthearted way. Um, when, when I was a youth pastor, we're, we're playing cornhole, playing cornhole. And one of the students almost got it in the, the, the hole and it missed. And he blurted out the word poop, but he didn't say poop, right? He just shouted it out. And I looked over, I was like, whoa, did I just hear something? And I said it in a, you know, a, a goofy way. And he goes, no. Like, oh, so it was one of those things where I was, I was, able, to, I was able to correct his language and, and not like in the middle of youth group be like, what's wrong with you? You know, but, but, but said in a lighthearted way, I was able to, to correct him and, and we, he came up afterwards. He was like, I'm sorry. I was like, all right, I get it. Work on it. Practice it. We, we all mess up, but, but practice on it. Thank you for apologizing. Let's, let's work on it. The point every now and then is um, sometimes though I'll talk to somebody who will just go off on something. And I'll talk to them like, wow, that was, that was intense. And the reply, the reply will be this. Hey, sorry, I was a construction worker. Hey, I worked in the bar. Hey, I was in the armed forces. Hey, I was a teamster. Hey, that's why I say that. It's no big deal. And as, as much as, as I would hear them say, that's not a big deal, I, I would then say, I think, I think it's a bigger deal than we think it is. Because if that's just what's naturally flowing out, there's, there's work that needs to be done in the heart. Because if we're going to understand how powerful words are, if we're going to believe what Scripture says and that Scripture is true, Scripture is saying those words are not just words. Those words are power. Those words are important. And if we're just throwing them out there casually, there's some more work that needs to be done internally in our hearts because we don't want those to be the casual things that get thrown out. We want things that build to be things that get thrown out. How cool would it be if it was just 100% natural and there are people that are like this, 100% natural to do nothing but just lift people up and encourage and challenge and inspire. And that's what you do for people. Think of how many people would want to be around you, would want what you have. And you get to point it back and say, I get to do this because it's, it's scripture in my heart. It's God in my heart. That's why I talk this way. That's a cool place to be. When we tame our tongue, we get to give honor to glory for it. When we let God get a hold of our heart, this flows through our actions 
it flows through our words. And we get a chance to speak life into people, to speak Jesus into people. <clears throat> when we give it to him, man, we honor him first and foremost. And lastly, practice speaking life into people. Practice speaking life into people. There's a, there's a popular Toby Mac song that says, speak life, speak life in the deadest, darkest night. Speak life, speak life when the sun won't shine and you don't know why. Look into the eyes of the brokenhearted. Watch them come alive. Watch them come alive as you speak love, you speak hope, you speak life. It's so amazing what our words have the power to do to somebody. Proverbs 18.21 says, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. <clears throat> Understand, it's powerful. I mean, how powerful is the phrase, thank you? How powerful is the phrase, thank you, right? Two small words, we know when people don't say it. It is a powerful phrase. Seeing someone who has just put effort into something, letting them know that you notice, a handwritten note even that just says, thank you for what you've done, that is a powerful thing because words speak life. Or if you, have a, if you have a friend who, who you know is down in the dump, someone who is struggling, going through a hard time, and for whatever reason, in, in, in a moment throughout the day, they come onto your mind, give them a call. Shoot them a text. Let, acknowledge them that, that they're on your mind. You're thinking about them. Those few words of just saying, hey, thinking about you today, that can speak so much life into somebody, especially if they're having a hard time. If someone pops in your head and you don't know why, someone random you haven't thought about in years, weeks, months, whatever it is, Someone pops in your head, give them a call. I can't tell you how many times someone has popped on my mind and I've just shot them a text like, hey, thinking about you today. And they were just like, oh my gosh, can we talk for a minute? And there's just stuff going on in their life. And I know in that moment, it's God prompting someone, God prompting me to talk to someone and then I get a chance to speak life into this person. If someone's on your heart, reach out to them. Speak life to people. I know personally when, when someone gives me a compliment, it means the, word, the world to me. I, I'm not an affirmation junkie, but man, I like being affirmed. I, I don't know of anybody who doesn't like being affirmed. She'll go, hey, you did great today. No one goes, leave me alone. That's, that's not a classic response, right? You, you like affirmation. Um, I like being affirmed. When someone comes up and says, you know, hey, this was good to me. But e even more for me personally, if someone says to me like, hey, that was a good message, what means more to me is when they say, hey, this is what I learned from the message. I'm like, yes, that's awesome. That speaks life into me. Speak life into people. When you go up to someone, give them an out-of-the-blue phone call. Encourage them. Know that your words can bring the world of life to someone in that moment. You don't always know what everybody's going through, and your words can change the course of someone's day. On the same lane, you don't know what someone's going through, and your words can lead to a horrible part of their day. Let's build each other up. Let's praise Jesus. Let's use our words to speak more life into people than we do anything else. Amen? Would you all stand with me today? And just, just like all good things do, using our tongue, taming our tongue, working with our tongue, it takes practice. It's hard. It, it is not easy. But it's something that does not come naturally. But we serve a God who will pour abundantly into us. A God who says, I will pour into you. And, and the psalmist, David, he says, my cup overflows with God's goodness and grace and mercy. Let him be the one that overflows your cup. And when we pour into him, watch him pour into us. He will help us tame our tongue. Remember, James says, no human can do it. But I love that God is not just a human. Jesus was not just human. He was fully human and fully God. God can help us tame our tongue. He wants to see us speaking life to those around us. Practice putting scripture into your heart. 
practice reading. Maybe it's just a verse a day. Maybe you're like, you say, I can't memorize a verse a day. Do a verse a week, a verse a month. Just start somewhere saying, I'm going to memorize something. I'm going to put this into my heart and watch it transform the way I talk to each other. I challenge us, fill our minds with Jesus. Fill our minds with his word and watch that flow into our heart and out through our tongues. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you that, um, that you outlined so clearly in scripture the power of our words. God, and I thank you that you gave us an incredible example in Jesus and how his words brought healing, his words brought life, his words brought love to people. I pray that we, we emulate that when we leave here today, God. We speak life to each other. We speak life to people we don't like, God. Uh, but we, we are, our actions, our words, our very being is one that points people to you and shows people your love. So God, help us control our tongues. Help us use our tongue in the way you intended to build up your children and your family. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen. amen. And be, before we leave, um, I know he just left, but when you, if you know Jake personally, if you have his number, he led worship today last minute because our worship team had some illness and they couldn't be here. So thank Jake when you see him um, for stepping in last minute leading worship. And uh, just let our words be ones that encourage and build each other up. Amen? Amen? And you guys are loved. Have a great day. I'll see you next week.